0: Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey, and this week I am lucky to be joined by our neighbor, um, Pete Spandy. Pete is the uh, publisher and CRO of Insider. Insider. That kind okay. Of, Insider yes. Inc. Um, so Insider Inc., which is the owner of Business Insider and Insider. So explain how that is now operating two brands. You guys have been doing it for, for a while. Yeah.
1: No, so uh, Insider launched in 2015. So that's our kind of general news and entertainment site, the complement to Business Insider, those things that aren't business. Um, and managing two sites is, you know, sometimes three times as challenging uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, what works for one may not work for the other. But increasingly, um, we're, we're focused on three buckets of content and then user experiences that complement those three buckets. So business, of course, where we started, um, news, general news. We just uh, announced a, a reorganization in the newsroom where uh, we've got a, a team focused on news and then the third bucket being lifestyle or life and uh, you know, parenting, food, travel, uh, art, design, these kinds of things. And increasingly, what we're finding is it's it's one website with three very distinct channels. They have different domains, these kinds of things. But um, we're pulling the user experience together as much as possible, which is actually helping us manage this as one large organization rather mm-hmm. than three sites.
0: So explain that a little bit. Because, I mean, sure. we wrote about your the reorganization mm-hmm. on, on the editorial side. And um, on a much smaller scale, we have three brands here. There so you go. I'm, I'm very interested in it. How do you... How do you organize on the business side? Is it all just one sales team for the three? It's
1: one sales team. We have increasingly specialized our sales territory. So it's unlikely that you'll be talking to an advertising salesperson, for instance, who is calling on a a diaper company and – a hedge fund, or a you know a, a financial services company of some kind, uh, so uh, or an enterprise tech company. So we're we're focusing the marketing, sales, and to a lesser extent the support, the sales support on the on the uh, post campaign side into these various uh, uh, categories. However, if for instance um, a bank who typically runs on Business Insider decides to run a campaign on our parenting ch- channel of Insider, it's the same seller can sell both properties. So mm-hmm. we're, we're focused on the client rather than on the topic. What I really have grown to dislike in the publishing industry, and it happens with way too many publishing companies, especially as they get bigger, is you start having 8 and twelve footed sales calls because every every subset of the company needs their own sales team and the client just wants to deal with one person. Yeah, the client is yeah. not like you know, <laughs> oh
0: geez, I love you guys but only if you brought like if four only. or five different yeah. people here right. and made this harder for me to make a
1: deal. So yeah, absolutely and when when you look at um, the benefits of scale, and there are always complexities with, uh, you know, as you get bigger but one of the benefits of scale is you can do more, more work, produce more results with the same number of people. And that immediately goes away as soon as you start vulcanizing your sales force mm-hmm. and your marketing team and these kinds of things.
0: But it also leads, lends the question is, why is there a need? And this I've always asked, like, why is – because Business Insider always took such an expansive view of business, um, really, that sure, yeah. pretty much anything nah, – a lot of things could fit under that umbrella. It was a big umbrella. It was like a golf so, umbrella.
1: Well, <laughs> it's a Well, business people <laughs> like golf. Um, so so uh, we've always taken the attitude that we're serving the business person more than we are just covering the topic <clears> of business. But it's, I think if you've looked over the years, Business Insider has actually become much more focused editorially on business issues, mm-hmm. these kinds of things. We've moved more and more of the topics that might have in – past years been on Business Insider to other parts of our portfolio. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, So, I think there's more focus there actually now than there ever has been. So, from a
0: commercial perspective, and I I want to layer in the discussion of subscriptions here, is BI more of a B2B-like play versus um, Insider, which is you know, a generalist that would compete, I would guess, with a BuzzFeed and Daily Mail and, and others?
1: So, so, yes. I mean, we def- definitely see our clients uh, on Business Insider being predominantly either B2B, so the business services, whether that be, you know, a FedEx or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thing, or financial services, which is th- generally speaking to the, the consumer. We don't do a ton of... Um, you know, it's not a ton of marketing advertising campaigns to say, you know, uh, Hedge funders, or this kind of, you know, we're not necessarily that that focused on B two B finance, but um, it's those those categories that you'd expect most from a, a business publication. Mm-hmm. So finance, technology, luxury goods, those kinds of things tend to be the the, the pro- predominant advertisers on Business Insider. Um, and yes, as as you say, on on Insider, it's much more focused on mass market. Um, the audience on Insider tends to be. Uh, Even younger than Business Insider, so average age on Business Insider is something like 37 years old, 38 years old, according to Comscore. Uh, Insider.com is average age around 31 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, Business Insider tends to skew slightly male, about 60% male, whereas Insider.com is about 70% female. So young, female, um, fairly good household income on Insider, but it's certainly less than Business Insider, and uh, you know, contextually, it's just a very different environment. So it's you know, it's it's all things that you you will not see on Business Insider with much frequency any longer.
0: So, did it open these new categories for you that you you weren't getting before?
1: A- absolutely, I think, you know, there uh, there are certainly market expectations around. Um, you know, where a, a consumer package a good company. So like, there are many people who would just say, like, why would I advertise my um, my diaper brand on Business Insider or mm-hmm. my uh, my soda brand or that kind of thing. So there certainly are commercial conversations that are easier when you have a more lifestyle focused site like Insider.com. Um, so so that is that is absolutely opened doors for us. We're also for Insider, we're able to really expand more into some of the video categories. I'm sure you've you've seen mm-hmm. a lot of our works. A lot of people will say, "Oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize I'd seen I've seen this already. I didn't realize that was the same company that did Business Insider." So, um, you know, from a video perspective, I talking we in your are,
0: interesting bagel content, uh,
1: bagels, cheese, cheese, you bet, yes, you tra- lab, lots and yeah. lots of travel. Um, you know, we're we're fueling a lot of bucket lists. I think um, across the globe now on the travel side. Um, so yeah, it does open up much more, uh, m- many more opportunities, much more m- more content areas for us to pursue. Um, but also, I think from a user perspective, we're, we're c- curating content in these different categories much more tightly than we had in the past, which um, creates, I think, a more satisfying user experience for a lot of these people. And then we can we can you know cross promote content across these brands. Um, as as we see fit, but you know we're we're creating much more focus in these areas.
0: I, I want to get to the subs but before I mm-hmm. do. I have, a, I have a question about the agencies. Do you, do you run into an issue where BI is very well known, right? And and Insider, this is my suspicion. Insider is is very well known to the people who consume its content, but probably less known to clients. And and they'll be like, wait, I know BI. Like, what is Insider? These are big numbers, but yeah. Um,
1: so cer- certainly there's there is uh an aspect of that i think it's less and less every day thankfully but uh yeah there's there's still uh a a, a need for us to build the awareness for awareness for the insider.com brand for insider in general um and it, the 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 other benefit of business insider is a lot of our customers whether or not they're advertising in the business category read us so we mm-hmm. we are um, frequently talking to people who both use us and may also buy us, um, which is is really helpful. Uh, whereas on Insider, I think a lot of people are ju- are still figuring out a that the two companies are related. We still have, as I say, work to do. It's it's you know that this the brand launched in 2015, the website in 2016. But um, you know, in, in terms of kind of building that brand awareness that it does take years and years. And anyone who mm-hmm. thinks that the, the world has, you know acknowledged the, their existence yeah, exactly. of a brand more quickly um, will frequently find that they're, they're, they're mistaken. So um, we're still on that journey. We're still working working to do that. I will say, though, from a corporate perspective, having the ability to speak to everything from your uh, most narrow business-to-business uh, client to your broadest consumer client does help in those top-to-top agency discussions uh, as they're looking for the fewest number of partners who Fewer, can, bigger. You fewer want to be in that yep. fewer, bigger set. Absolutely. So the ability to produce a solution for a multitude of an agency's clients will provide a different level of interest than... The 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 solution that is for only one of their their roster, for instance,
0: and the business model is slightly different. I mean, it's 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 mostly ads. There's e-commerce component, I'm sure on Insider. Yes, um,
1: yeah, we have no subscription right and, now on Insider, and which,
0: but there's there's subs in, on the BI side on Business Insider and then Business Insider Prime, and, business
1: then, Insider Prime. Yep. and then
0: BI Intelligence, which I guess is correct. Somewhat I, explain um, how you balance. Having a subscriptions model with an ads model.
1: So, um, at at the company level, we have two teams that are very laser focused on their leg of the you know of 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 that 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 pillar. So, our subscriptions team is a hundred percent focused on growing that product. Does not. I don't want to say they never think about ads, but they, they are, hate ads. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, and in, in some respects, we, we because of that focus, we're actually able to find ways to coordinate that are, are really interesting. But they're so you guys are out there, remit,
0: competing with each other?
1: <laughs> not at all, not at all. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, there is a great deal of focus. They have dedicated support within our product organization. Um, and we share resources, uh, things like just the site as a whole, but also you know our data and analytics and these kinds of things. We're pooling those resources for, from an infrastructure perspective to serve both. Mm-hmm. Our email property, for instance, we're, we're both using, but there are distinct focus on both sides, um, and the, the mission when they wake up in the morning is is very, very clear on both sides. So our advertising team can be really proud of what's happening from Business Insider Prime and the membership and all of these kinds of things, but they don't touch it on a day-to-day basis, and the same is true on the other side.
0: How did you deal with the sort of cultural component to it, uh, and and just getting, um, particularly the sales team on board with something that, at least on its surface, could be seen as as um, running counter to running an ad business? It's going to cut down your reach to some degree. Yeah. So, um, I think
1: the cultural piece is actually is is key. Henry, our CEO and co-founder, uh, is very very frequently found. You might even hear him from here. We uh Digiday and Business Insider Share never A see Floor. Henry yeah. I never so uh, um, Henry's question, you know, in pretty much every meeting that he has, I would assume, at least the meetings I'm in with him, is who's owning this, whatever that might be. So from the very beginning, it's it's very much culturally about, you know, hey, we're gonna divide and conquer. We're gonna uh, um, have that focus on each side. From the from the advertising perspective, unless people um, were were not sharing this sentiment with me. Um, there wasn't a lot of concern on our part, and and you know part of that is we've seen the ability to add initiatives, uh, you know, e-commerce syndication, other kinds of things. Without necessarily seeing our overall reach shrink that much, so mm. as you look at the uh, incorporation of Business Insider Prime into our portfolio, the the, the consumer subscription product, um, we also we hired roughly forty five writers during that first year that it was uh, in existence, in part to feed that product, not to the exclusion of the rest of the site, but actually in an additive uh, mm-hmm. way. We're also, I think, seeing the sentiment f- towards the, the the product business insider has um, in, you know been vastly um, um, improved. You know, the love for that product has, has improved considerably. Just because we're writing about deeper and deeper topics on uh, top you know, on categories that people care about, and that has dramatically increased the amount of user, uh, usership or readership, I guess, uh, for the website. So uh, overall, we've seen that be really, really positive, even from an advertising perspective. And I think it's important to note that as we roll out this, this product, the people who are writing for Business Insider Prime are not exclusively running for that. So we're hiring these really focused beat reporters. For instance, we have one gentleman who all he writes about every day Is Goldman Sachs. And um, that kind of, you know, they are a a bellwether in the financial space. They're they're touching all sorts of uh, uh, business categories that are really important to our readers. And, you know, that has both helped us when we work with Goldman Sachs, but it's also helped us with the rest of the financial marketplace because that coverage has gotten deeper and more interesting. And as we do special features that might be sponsored from an editorial perspective, like we did a a series called uh, How AI Impacts Everything, we were able to tap into uh, Dakin, who covers Goldman Sachs, and our retail reporters, and our Mm -hmm. uh, our, uh, uh, banking reporters, and all of these. So they could talk about this topic from all these different uh, vantage points and pull it into something that was really robust and Sponsorable and really, really compelling from a marketplace perspective. So, for us at least, we haven't seen the decrease in reach. Um, in part because we've staffed mm-hmm. the the subscription product in such a way that it is additive rather than you know pulling resources from the other. And in the process, we've also just been able to kind of package these things together in new and different ways that also are interesting for our advertisers.
0: The goal is to have. I think you've said to 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 us before, like uh, this three legs of the yeah, stool: absolutely. one third, one third, mm-hmm. one third. Which sounds very neat. One third advertising, one third subscriptions, one third um, licensing, oh, e yeah. commerce, yep. the mm-hmm. the, re- the rest of the stuff that comes in. You know that that by necessity means that you know if we were talking five years ago, there was there there. The stool had just one leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was less a stool. Yeah, um, pogo
1: stick or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so what do you got to do to get there? To uh, I'm, I'm guessing right now that 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 subscriptions are not yet a third of your revenue.
1: They're not a third yet. No, they're they're growing really <laughs> rapidly. They're it's it's. Um, they're up. They're ahead of
0: forecast. they
1: um, well, we we reforecast every month, so you can't be ahead of forecast for too long. But uh, um, no, we're uh, we're very happy with the subscription business. We're very happy with our e-commerce and syndication business as well. Um, you know, the lion's share of you know the largest uh, revenue pool is still advertising. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we're, uh, we're we're still a ways from being kind of equal parts.
0: Is advertising still growing? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is not a case, because I know you're going to make this argument. This is not a case of <laughs> um, of trying to make up for weakness in a core business with a new business, which, believe it or not, is happening elsewhere in this <laughs> industry.
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, we're very much a believer in the d- diversified revenue model. I mean, Business Insider Intelligence is over eight years old now. Um, and uh, we've been building these businesses so that... Uh, you know, just like a diversified portfolio, you know uh, when when advertising is not growing to plan, we have other businesses to to buffer that up you know to, to, to help us you know weather those storms and vice versa. Um, the the biggest the biggest uh, project for us right now is finding what is shared and what is is very specific. So for instance, data and analytics, we all have different needs uh, uh, around data and analytics, how much of that infrastructure can be shared and how much of that is unique to subscriptions and different from advertising mm-hmm. or from uh, e-commerce. And yeah, that because you
0: want to make sure that you're running one business, not like uh-huh. multiple
1: yep. businesses. Absolutely. As but much it, as possible. But we also want to make sure that we're not making every decision, an average decision mm-hmm. for each individual business, but collectively kind of the least Bad decisions. Like, what's so, an
0: excuse, or what's an excuse? What's an example?
1: So, uh, we can use analytics. Is uh, well, let's stay with that for a moment. Um, there are certainly um, things that our editorial team needs uh, for just understanding how our audience is consuming the site and these kinds of things that really don't do much at all to help Business Insider Intelligence. And they certainly have some needs that are just, again, not that interesting to the the newsroom for our our consumer-facing site. So we have different solutions from an analytics uh, perspective in terms of understanding audiences, these kinds of things for each of those business units. Underlying that is one common framework that is kind of the source of record for for general performance on all things site, but on the subscription side, uh, for, or uh, on the research subscription side, business insider intelligence, there are a lot of different parameters that just aren't applicable to the site because they're talking about a much smaller user base. Mm. We're talking about on businessinsider.com, 80 million people in the U.S. Business Insider, Insider Intelligence is, you know, tens of thousands per day kind of accessing a particular uh, report or something like that. So it's just a different level of variable or different variable being used there. So um, they, they just have to use different tools. In other places, uh, for instance, e-commerce, uh, you know, they're just, there are aspects of that business that are just very unique that aren't touched anywhere else. That um, they've they've been developing, and then we might find a, a you know a lead generation product or something that can be built off of that once mm-hmm. they, it's been built for e-commerce. Um, I never would have necessarily built that business for our ad business um, had it not already been kind of culture you know nurtured by our e-commerce business. But once it's there, it's it can be immediately applicable to other parts of the of the of the business.
0: Okay, so um, you're going through some changes on on the corporate level, yeah. right? With, mm-hmm. uh, now KKR owns, mm-hmm. I guess, through Axel Springer. Yes. And then owns you. Yeah. Um, and then eMarketer is coming into the family.
1: That's right. Well, eMarketer has been owned by Axel Springer right. for a number of years. Um, in January, uh, eMarketer will become part of the Insider Inc. umbrella. So it's same corporate owners, just, you know, we're a different management group that will, or, or consolidating management
0: groups with these okay. two companies. I'm sure you can't lay out the whole integration plan. No. It probably doesn't exist. So. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> explain how that will change because I think some people were like, oh, that's interesting.
1: Well, um, so a lot of it is still being sorted through and I'm not the best person to speak okay. to all of those details. There are people who are running that business who are much closer to it. But, uh, you know, there's uh a lot of shared infrastructure that uh, would be built out twice and now can be built you know uh, built for both businesses or both businesses currently mm-hmm. that are, are really interesting. I think our parent company was also really keen for two of its subsidiaries to not be competing against one another. so I think there's yep. there's real you know organizational incentives for that uh, for that to occur. and then there are a lot of really Talented and knowledgeable people at eMarketer and at Business Insider Intelligence who will benefit from the you know the experience and best practices of the other business. And while some of that happened before, it, you know, it just it will never happen in the same way it will when you are sharing those goals and that that uh, organizational mm-hmm. structure. So that that's a big part of the rationale f- right. for that part of the business
0: on, on the ad side. Um, what's the current biggest challenge?
1: Um, I'll give you. I'll give you two um which is somewhat uh not responding to your ass but i think there's so the first one is you never know what's going to be happening tomorrow so you're continually kind of war rooming potential so, you know changes that might happen so um you know changes in the way uh programmatic is being bought, you have to really, you can't take for granted that any of those things will will be in place tomorrow, that you know that there's a lot of infrastructure changes happening on a lot of different fronts. And you know just the competitive landscape, there's consolidation all over the place or new people ent- entering. So, it's very much, a, I think the biggest challenge is, in part, you cannot really lay out anything greater than a midterm plan with any kind of mm-hmm. um, uh, accuracy, which makes it Really difficult to be allocating resources and laying bets, yeah. you know, across the board. So that's that's a broad kind of challenge.
0: Well, I would guess it's a it's a big challenge because you're dealing with someone else's roadmap that you're reacting yeah, to. 100%, or like yeah, hundred percent. multiple roadmaps. So yes, yeah. Google Google's got a roadmap, and they're not they're not exactly sure. Sh- I'm, I'm told they it.
1: have one. Yeah, um, and so does Amazon and Facebook and you know, Condé Nast and everyone else. So um, you know. The, we're partnering and competing with the same people, which is a well-understood issue in the space. I think that the the larger ramification of all of this, though, is, um, you know, the, the thing that seems like it'll be the thing um, can overnight become, you know— uh, Um, an anecdote you know remember when we used to do blankly blank whatever it might be so what's an example well I think right now one of the things we're thinking a lot about is what's going to happen to the third-party cookie and how does ad targeting in general you Mm -hmm. know so um
0: so a world without um browsers are are making decisions um in the name of privacy that are going to have profound impacts profound on impact. publisher businesses yep. and, and, and advertisers.
1: And, and ad tech and platforms and everything right. else. So uh, you know, some of the things that we've worked on at Insider Inc. and other people have been working on for a long time um, may just be shut down or be applicable to such a small percentage of our traffic that it really doesn't warrant maintaining. It also could be a huge opportunity. So in a world where third-party data has less relevance or less applicability, our first party data becomes yeah. much more exciting and interesting and useful and marketable. So you know that's that's an example that's maybe positive for or potentially right. positive for a publisher.
0: so it, there is some and we've been writing about this I mean there's there's two camps broadly speaking I mean there's there's camp that says, look this era of third party data has benefited um, you know a group of platforms for the most part. Um, yes, publishers because this is how advertising takes place. You know, have in some ways, um, you know, become dependent on it. But that if that goes away, then um, advertisers, um, not all advertisers, not long tail advertisers, but you know, big premium publishers should, in the long term, benefit.
1: I, I think so. Yeah. Um,
0: Which camp are you in?
1: Um, I'm. I'm in of? the. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm in the. Uh, I think publishers will benefit, uh, provided.
0: Google came out with its study saying they won't. Yeah, they're, they're very unbiased in this. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> so I I th- I think the big question is, and and this is part of the reason I think platforms have been um, so successful for the last ten years is uh, there you need to have enough scale behind whatever solution for it to not only work but work it in a way that make warrants the focus. Um, so I think. Publishers need to figure out how to not only deliver insights and kind of carve out the relevant portions of their audience for an advertiser, but do it in such a way that they can actually scale it profitably and provide the kind of results that make it worth the advertiser's while. So I think in, you know, in the, let's call it the early 2000s, um, Publishers were guilty of kind of underthinking data and targeting, and uh, you know Google, Facebook, whomever, ad networks were were able to maybe have a less compelling data story, but have multiple zeros more behind the inventory that made it worth.
0: Their yeah, time. I mean, you can do. I mean. It's not even worth it if you're not at at scale because I think a lot of the questions, sort of the big macro question is, you know, digital advertising's been fairly efficient to, I mean, not really efficient to buy, but it's been efficient enough to buy if you're going through these giant platforms. Um, But if all of these, you know, combination of GDPR, the California Privacy Act, um, these browser initiatives are just going to add on transaction costs to such a degree... That maybe the money doesn't go from Google and Facebook to publishers, or maybe it just goes out into some other
1: stuff—billboards yeah. or yeah. You know, it, it, again, to, to my my previous statement, where you're you're doing you're 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 in war rooms building up plans for all these eventualities, and um, nothing is is certain by any means. I think the 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 balance of Scale plus precision, uh, from a data perspective, will allow some subset of uh, publishers, and certainly we hope Insider Inc. is—we're um, working hard to make sure Insider Inc. is one of them—has um, the yeah. has the ability to deliver that business value and that insight um, yeah. to advertisers. At a scale that makes it worthwhile, will will mean that there'll be some subset there that will will um, will survive, and we, we plan to be one of them. I think the other thing that is very very clear from a data perspective is that there's more to this than just ad targeting, and I think most of the conversation around data right now in advertising is about targeting rather than uh, surfacing up insights that might be helpful for just marketing more broadly. So. I'll give you an example mm-hmm. of one of the things that we're doing. So, With some of our uh, advertising partners who are buying us programmatically through some kind of private deal, whether it be PMP or preferred, whatever it might be, programmatic guaranteed, if we've coordinated this in advance, we can start to tell our advertisers what we know about the audience that they're buying, that they're interested in. So that example, I'll give you an example. So if um, a bank that's targeting small businesses, small business owners, is buying our audience via PMP using their data, we can then tell them what we know about those impressions. And let's say for a moment that we've discovered in addition to all of those things that you might expect out of a small business advertiser, there. are between the ages of 35 and 54, and they're, you know, 65% male or, what, you know, they have relatively high household incomes, all those things that they already probably know and are kind of what you'd expect in a small business owner, maybe we see a particular type of content also being really interesting to that, that pool of cookies. Mm-hmm. So, we can take that cookie data, that, that, that content preference data, and then help them figure out how they should even just make their banners look for future campaigns you're still wanting to reach small business owners but if they love pets maybe you profile a small business that is you know focused on pets just because that 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 cute puppy and of course everyone loves cute puppies so that's maybe yeah. a bad example but maybe it's live music or you know whatever it might be that additional data about that audience can really inform Creative strategy, messaging strategy, maybe it's partnerships, whether it be with us or with anyone else out mm-hmm. there. That additional layer of data is something that they haven't been able to get as part of their cookie pool. We can't, um, we're not selling that data, but we're able to give real, interesting insights around um, what the audience they already care about does that they they weren't aware of. Um, so that's an example of where the behavioral aspect of this is actually really interesting. It's not about targeting or isolating. It's about understanding that audience in a, in a better way. Um, we can also start to look at what platforms people are coming to our site from when they're, right. they're of interest or device types and all of these kinds of things. So it's to have cascading on. effects Absolutely. That, are,
0: that are not just ad targeting.
1: And I think very often the targeting is an endpoint discussion. you know right. let's, let's turn this on, let's turn this off. it's a flip of a switch on some console from a buying platform whereas there's a lot of additional data around what people care about, how they're using uh, how, how they're using our site, how they're consuming data more broadly right. that can inform broader decisions that might impact whole other parts of the marketing discussion that live outside of the advertising
0: discussion. Okay. Pete, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to Pierre bien who's producing this podcast. And we'll be back next week with a new episode.